Yo, what's up, Danny? How's it going, Tyler? Oh, not too bad. Just ready for another episode of Fried Squirms, where we're going to get high (laughs) and talk about horror movies or a horror made-for-TV episode. This isn't a full movie. No. But it's not not a movie. Anyway, y'all know it's Cigarette Burns. We're going to get there. We got to start getting high first, though. So let's hit our green hits. This week, I mean, we've brought Pineapple Express up in here before, so I'm not going to bring it in like it's anything special. But this is from a different shop than what I've brought in before. Everything I've had from Flower up to this point has been fucking fire, so I can't wait to see what their Pineapple Express does. But what did you got to I know you brought me one of my favorites that I've been having lately. Yeah, so I brought over another joint of Lemon train wreck for you, and it's one I've been picking up from Remedy here in town. And I did bring myself one as well. It's a Mac 1 strain, which is a hybrid strain. Now, this guy checks in roughly around 19.5%, roughly. It is a cross between Alien Cookies F2 with Miracle 15. It has been selected by breeders in order to protect the quality of the flower. It says the buds are normally white and drenched in milky trichomes. And uh, some of the... Milky. Oh, yeah. It says some of the notes and terpenes, etc., You'll get the citrus, which we mentioned before, is a limonene. The pine, which is that alpha pinene, beta pinene. And the peppery is usually associated with the caryophyllene. So I think it's a pretty good mix. I tried a little bit last night. Like I told you, it got me nice and tuckered to go to bed. Slept really well. So this one might be towards the end of the podcast if I make it through <laughs> the Pineapple Express first. So yeah, those are the two strains I brought over for today. Yeah, I mean, I'd go off a little bit more on Pineapple Express, but everyone knows what the fuck it is at this point. There was a goddamn movie made about it, so... Anger, man. Right. (laughs) So I did, yeah. Basically, I'm more excited because it's from a new shop. And like I said, their shit's been good, but I'm going to hit that train wreck first, so... Hell yeah. Oh, shit. You got a cough to get off, but I wasn't expecting that yet. Ooh. Yeah, there we go. Mmm, mmm, that lemony. Mmm, I got it. Ah, I got that lemony. <laughs> nice. Shit, should we start in on the guts and bolts of this bitch? I'm then? ready. Guts and bolts. All right, guts and bolts, cigarette burns from Masters of Horror series. My spoiler free setup for this movie Norman Reedus is tasked with tracking down a super rare and supposedly killer film and like he owes money and shit that's the setup for this movie right that works he's tracking down a fucked up film yeah there's a wealthy collector who's Mm -hmm. looking for this film oh udo (laughs) exactly so from week to week of course we like to talk about our cast and our crew this week i'm going to lead off with one of our favorite directors we owe a lot and i think the horror community owes a lot of uh, credit and appreciation for this man, but I am talking about John Carpenter. And we have talked about John a couple different times on this podcast because we mentioned him in Halloween from 1978 on episode 15. And also, we reviewed Vampires on episode 33. So for those who are not familiar, for whatever reason, some other films of note, people might have seen The Fog, Escape from New York, and Starman. Actually, Starman's one of those films grown up I watched a boatload of times. Still one of my favorites. I honestly think that I've only ever seen it once. 
which kind of makes me sad a little bit because I know who all's in it and what it's about, and it seems like it'd be a lot better movie than what I should have seen only once. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I really enjoy it, of course. Unlike Ghosts of Mars, which I've uh, <laughs> probably seen like eight or nine times. <laughs> That's okay, man. You're a product of your time, and so am I. It's all right. But some other films of note include Dark Star from 1974. One I actually watched more recently within the last year is Assault on Precinct 13. Really good film. Awesome score, too. The remake of The Thing from 1982 He's also responsible for Christine, another one of my all-time favorites, Big Trouble in Little China. Love that fucking movie. Oh, Big Trouble, so good. Yeah, Prince of Darkness, They Live, and In the Mouth of Madness. And, of course, legendary composer for his scores. Mm -hmm. They're awesome. All right, so moving forward, we also have a couple of writers on this. We have Drew McWeeny. Now, he's known for writing the script for Fart, the movie, F-A-R-T. Drew McWeeny, what he's mostly known for these days is he writes for Ain't It Cool News. Yeah. Which is crazy. Like, I, I know I've read his fucking articles. He's been writing online. for them for a long, yeah. long while, too. Now, he's also responsible for the episode of Masters of Horror, the pro-life episode, which is also oh. a John Carpenter episode as well. He's also responsible for Fear Itself's episode of Skin and Bones. Now, we have his writing partner at the time... She went by Scott Swan, but today she is Rebecca Swan, and she's known for writing the screenplays for such films as Maskhead, Kofax and Lily, The Final Interview, and Extremity. And because of the previous credits, they're also responsible for those credits as well. Mm. All right, now we have cinematographer Attila Zele, and Attila is known for some really cool films. Some of them include a Van Damme film. You might have seen Time Cop. Oh, shit. Really? That's yeah. cool. All right. Let's yeah, see I've here. seen Time Cop. A lot of television, so things like The Crow, Stairway to Heaven from 98 through 99. I watched the shit out of Crow, Stairway to Heaven. Yeah, 15 episodes of Smallville back in 2001 through 2002. You might have also seen such things as The Mountain. They were responsible for nine episodes back in 2004 through 2005. 12 episodes of Masters of Horror, which is really impressive. Damn. Yeah. Well, you consider there was like 26 episodes, so almost half of the episodes. Almost half. Damn. Yeah. Have you ever watched Reaper from 2007 through 2009? I love Reaper. Right? There's also such things as... Pilot directed by Kevin Smith. That's really awesome. The television series Chaos from 2011, responsible for seven of those episodes... You might have also seen such things as Justified, five episodes back in 2015, the show Aquarius, 11 episodes from 2016, Mayans MC, five episodes in 2018. Oh, shit. That would have been the first season of Mayans. That's the season I've watched. I need to get caught up. I nice. do enjoy the show. Yeah, <laughs> and so more recently, let's see here, 10 episodes of The Society back in 2019. So some really cool credits to name. All right. Along with that, we have editor Patrick McMahon. Now, this is a gentleman we've actually talked about before a long time ago because they're responsible for editing our 17th episode because we reviewed A Nightmare on Elm Street. Never would have guessed that that was episode 17. When you said I know, 17, dude. I started trying to think, and I'm like, that was way back after when. after Martyrs, no fucking <laughs> yeah. idea. <laughs> no worries. All right, now they're also responsible for editing the film Strange Brew. Love that movie. Oh, damn. Yeah. Little Monsters. Oh, shit, okay. Yeah. White Dwarf, the TV movie, which is really neat. Uh, such things as Monk, five episodes of that. Five episodes also of Masters of Horror, the film P2, which I actually really enjoy that film. Hmm. 
It's Alive from 2009. You might have also seen some of their work in Amityville, The Awakening, and more recently, Carnival Row from 2019. It's a television series. Oh, sweet. Okay. Yeah. All right. We have music composed by Cody Carpenter, which is, of course, John's son. Now, Cody's responsible also for the Masters of Horror episode Pro-Life, 2018's Halloween, and also the John Carpenter Live documentary. All right, we have a couple of special effects teams on this. We have K&B effects, mainly because uh, Gregory Nicotero and Howard Berger did the special makeup effects on this. Mm -hmm. And we also have Anthem visual effects, who helped, of course, with the visual effects. This was produced by Bo Alther, Lisa Richardson, and Tom Rowe. The production companies were IDT Entertainment, Industry Entertainment, Nice Guy Productions, and Reunion Pictures. The distributors were Showtime Networks back in 2005. That was here in the States for the television series. And Anchor Bay Entertainment helped release the 2006 DVD here in the States. All right. They had a release date on November 2005 at the Torino Film Festival in Italy. And here in the States on December 16, 2005. All right. So moving along, we're going to go ahead into our cast. We've got some really cool people to talk about today. And leading off, I want to talk about Norman Reedus, who plays the role of Kirby Sweetman. And uh, not that I have to necessarily go through a lot of his filmography. But, of course, his most famous role is Scud in Blade 2. Yeah, dude. So <laughs> some other films of note. He was in Mimic back in the day. He was also in such things as 8mm. I would hope people who are familiar with Fuck, these films. he was in Mimic. No wonder he was in Blade 2. Goddamn GDT. Yep, exactly. Mm. He was also in the Boondock Saints as Murphy McManus. Let's see. He was also in such things as uh, Antibodies, which is actually a pretty neat film. American Gangsters. You might have seen such things as Cadillac Records, Pandorum, of course, the Boondock Saints Part Two. He was in Iron Man Rise of Technovore, which is a direct-to-DVD release because he voiced Frank Castle as, of course, the Punisher, which is really neat. He's also in such films as Alien Invasion, Some One, Triple Nine, the film Vacation, Air and Sky. I think a lot of people are going to recognize him mainly <laughs> because of his role in a huge series, of course, The Walking Dead, as Daryl Dixon. 22 episodes as Daryl. That is pretty amazing. <laughs> Which is probably the biggest fan favorite character. Arguably. For sure. From the entire series, like... Yeah, I'd say you'd be hard-pressed not to find somebody who would argue with you on that. All right, moving along, another huge name. We've actually talked about him a few times. I am speaking of Udo Kier, who plays the role of Mr. Bellinger in this film. Now, we talked about Udo on episode 91 when we reviewed Dario Argento's Suspiria from 1977. Fuck yeah, we did. And also episode 151, because he was also in End of Days... A weird Blade connection, but not the same Blade. Yeah, exactly. Part one. Yeah, he's in part one. That's probably my first introduction to Udo. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, some of the films, I'll go through just a, a brief list. He was in Ken Russell's Mark of the Devil, which is a really awesome film. He was also in the Andy Warhol film, The Blood for Dracula, as Count Dracula. You might have seen him in such films as Lola, a film I highly recommend. I tell this to people all the time. If you like Robin Williams, you need to watch Moscow on the Hudson. It's a great mm -hmm. film. I remember him from Blade. I might have seen him first in Armageddon. That's pretty awesome. He was also in such things as My Own Private Idaho, Josh and Sam, believe it or not. <laughs> it's kind of interesting. Johnny Mnemonic. He was in Barbed Wire, which is <laughs> kind of funny. 
He was also in Dancer in the Dark, which is a Lars von Trier film. Mm. He's also in such things as... He's also in Melancholia. Yes, he is. Like I said, he's mostly worked with him. He was in Dogville. You might have seen him in Evil Eyes, Dracula 3000, the film Blood Rain. He was also in Halloween 2007, Rob Zombies, which is actually really cool. Dario Argento's The Mother of Tears back in 2007, The Lords of Salem, uh, The Editor, so... Some really cool films, uh, Brawl and Cell Block 99, which is a Greg Zoll film, the guy who did uh, Bone Tomahawk, mm. which is really neat, yeah. And uh, Puppet Master, Littlest Reich, also <laughs> really cool. <laughs> right? But uh, really cool, man, to see him in this. All right, moving along, we have Colin Fu, who plays Fung, which I think is like his butler. Udo oh, Kier's yeah, yeah, butler. okay, yeah, yeah. Now, some people might recognize him because he's been in such films as Romeo Must Die, he was in the film Antitrust, he was also in Scooby-Doo Part 2, Monsters Unleashed. And some people might know him because he was also in Robson Arms, a television show from 2005 mm. through 2008. All right, we have Christopher Redman, who plays the willowy being in this. Now, I have to make mention there are a lot of Canadian actors and actresses in this, right? Mainly because it was cheaper to shoot up in Canada. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which we've mentioned before, if you take <laughs> if you take Canadian money to make your movie in Canada, you're going to see a lot of Canadians. Has, of the actors have to be Canadian. Yeah. So earlier when I was looking at this guy's credits, one that really jumped out to me, and I was like, oh wow, this is really cool. He was in Are You Afraid of the Dark, the television series. Oh, fuck. Okay. Two episodes actually back in '94. One I know for sure who he was, and that he was in the Tale of the Crimson Clown and the Tale of the Renegade Virus. For those, he was also in such things as the Goosebump television series. Some people might have seen him in Ginger Snaps back in uh, 2000. He's also been in such things as Stargate SG-1. Wait, was that Ginger Snaps, comma, back in 2000, or <laughs> Ginger Snaps back in 2000? Oh, no, just, <laughs> just in 2000, let's be that way. All right. He was in the film 88 Minutes. He was in an episode of Fear Itself. Uh, the episode was Something With Bite back in 2009. Some people might know him because he plays Michael Travers in CSI Miami. That was back in 2008 through 2011. He was in an episode of Arrow and the episode Salvation as Joseph Falk or the Savior. He was also in Percy Jackson's Sea of Monsters. And a little bit more recently, he was in such things as Reverie, the television show. He was also in The Purge, the television show, back in 2019. So, oh, fuck. Okay. Yeah, still need to check that out, man. I've been putting that on the back of <laughs> All right, we have Gwyneth Wall. She plays the role of Katya in this film. Now, she's been in some really cool things. Another Canadian actress. Uh, one that really stood out to me was Friday the 13th, the series, back in 1989. She's also been in Erie, Indiana, back in 1992. I think a lot of people who are Star Trek fans might know her because she played the role of Betor in Deep Space Nine back in 1993. Also in Star Trek The Next Generation as Betor in 91 through 94. In Generations as Betor back in 94. <laughs> so, you know, there's a common thread there. She was also in such things as Da Vinci's Quest. She was in Stargate SG-1. She was also in Flight 93, the television movie. Some people might have seen her in such things as Supernatural back in 2008. She was in American Horror Story back in 2013. And more recently, she's been in Van Helsing, the television series back in 2016. And The Man in the High Castle from 2019. It's another one of those. I've actually read, just haven't watched the show. So, 
I'll eventually get around to it. I've heard the show is really fucking good. I have too. That's what kind of makes me want to jump into it. I don't know when, but at some point I will. All right. Moving along, we have actor Chris Gauthier. He plays the role of Timpson, who is like one of the uh, guys that works in the theater with Norman Reedus' oh, character. Yeah, okay. Okay. Now, he's been in some really cool films. He's been in such things as 40 Days and 40 Nights, really yep. good Josh Hartnett film. He was in Agent Cody Banks. Yep. He was in Freddy vs. Jason, which yep. is fucking awesome. By the, as soon as you're saying these, I'm like, oh, yeah, he was, because I have seen all three of these so far. Yeah, he was in Scooby-Doo Part 2, Monsters Unleashed. He was in Riding the Bullet, which is a Stephen King adaptation, mm -hmm. if I'm not mistaken. He was also in such things as Kyle XY. He was in The Butterfly Effect Part 2. You might have heard his voice in Need for Speed Carbon as Neville. Oh, no shit. Yeah, he was oh, in the film. Yeah. yeah he was okay. in the film Are We Done Yet? He's also been in such things as uh, Harper's Island back in 2009. Oh, yeah. He was in Once Upon a Time, the television series from oh, 2012 yeah. okay. through 2018. Bench Warmers Part 2. I've never seen that one. The first one was actually pretty funny. But uh, yeah, he's in part two of Breaking Balls. And he was also in a series of unfortunate events oh. from 2017 through 2019. So, Good on him. Yeah, likes another pretty cool Canadian actor. All right, we have Gary Hetherington. He plays the role of Walter in this, which is, I guess, the father-in-law to Norman Reedus' character. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, if you look back in his filmography, he was in The Stepfather from 1987. It's actually a pretty decent film. He was also in Stake Out from 1987. It's kind of funny we mentioned that because of uh, Mr. Dreyfus, because mm -hmm. he was in those films. He was also in Who's Harry Crumb from 1989. He was in It, the miniseries back in 1990 as a police deputy, even though he went uncredited. He was in a few episodes of The X-Files from 93 through 94. And then let's see here, a little bit more recently, he was in Snowpiercer from this year, the television show. So... If you're looking for him, he plays, uh, <laughs> go figure, Walter the Papermaker. Nah. <laughs> yeah, so be on the lookout for him. All right, we have Chris Britton, who plays the role of Myers, who is, uh, if you're watching this, he is, is the, he the hand guy. He's the critic. Oh, he's the guy oh, who's still okay. writing he's his the, review. Gotcha. All right. He was in a couple of David Cronenberg films, starting off with The Brood back in 1979, and he was also in Scanners as a hazmat suit worker. Some people might know The Littlest Hobo. So for any of our Canadian listeners, you might have seen him back in 83 and 84. He was in Maximum Overdrive. He was also part of the Friday the 13th the series back in 88. He was in Kung Fu, The Legend Continues back in 94. He voiced Mr. Sinister and Nathaniel Essex from 93 through 97 on X-Men, the animated series. Yeah, it was yeah. really dope. 11 episodes of that, dude. Holy shit, that's insane. Yeah, he was in Good Will Hunting. It's pretty interesting. Hmm. Yeah, he was in such things as uh, The Day After Tomorrow. I'm looking more recently. Evil Dead Regeneration. He voiced uh, a lot of characters, apparently, in that. He was in Silent Hill, the film, back in 2006. He was in Blade, the series. You might have heard him in Death Note back in 2006 and seven. And a little bit more recently, he was in Lock and Key from this year and Riverdale from 2017 through 2019. All right, the guy with the hand you were mentioning earlier is played by Julius Chapel because that character is Henri Cotillard. He's been in such things as Smallville back in 2004. He's a part of the 4400 from 2004 through 2005. He was in an episode of Supernatural back in 2006. Some people might have seen him in Caprica, the television series back in 2010. 
and he was also in Traveling at the Speed of Light from 2011. This is a stoned aside, but his character name reminded me. Have you ever watched the Henri videos, like Henri the Cat on YouTube? I don't just like if these, I have, I don't, I don't recall. These black and white funny fucking videos of like from the cat's narration and perspective oh, okay. of just experiencing just overloads of ennui oh, being that's a French pretty, yeah. cat. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I have to check that out. Henri. Yeah, they're fucking funny. Yeah. All right. So we have a few more characters, actors and actresses, and then I'll you know, sound off on the cast crew. We have Douglas Authors, who plays the role of Dalibor. And he's got some pretty interesting credits. If you've ever seen The Butterfly Effect, he played the role of Carl. He was in The Chronicles of Riddle as a slam guard. Sometimes you got to do reindeer games. Oh, shit. Right? He was in that. And you might have also seen him in Stargate SG-1 from 98 through 2000. All right, we've got a guy who's kind of a bit player, but he's been in some really cool shit. This is Teres Kostoyuk. He plays the role of, like, one of the uh, strong-armed guys, one of the warehouse guys with Dalabar. But some things of note, he was in Elysium from 2013. You might have seen him in The Untold. He was also in White Chicks and Dark Angel. Now, he's mostly a guy who does a lot of stunt work, but also a lot of creatures. Oh, okay, yeah. You know, so that's pretty much what you'll see him. But uh, he was also, it looks like... Several episodes of Arrow as Gennady Burleyguard from 2013 through 2017. Hmm. Yeah. So a little bit of television work as well. And last but not least, we have the role of Annie played by Zara Taylor. She was in such films as Hollow Man Part 2, the film Totally Awesome, and Good Luck Chuck. Yeah, so that pretty much rounds out the cast and crew. You gave us a brief kind of setup of what this episode slash film entails. Should give you some warnings because this definitely warrants some. Oops, yeah. So warnings. Your standard. There's going to be some, you know, cussing, nudity, things of that nature. Yep, a little bit of nudity, a little bit of cussing, suicide. Yeah, pretty good blood. There's yeah, decent. Oh. I mean, a little bit of not too much violence. Not too much, but when it hits, it hits pretty decent. Yeah. Yeah, decent blood and gore, though, especially towards the end. Yeah, yeah, it's about three quarters through it. There's a scene, and you're like, oh, shit. So don't want to spoil that, but you might want to turn away. (laughs) Shit. Am I missing something? I feel like that's about it, right? Yeah, for the most part. Everything else. Now, consider it was for Showtime. I know there's been some cuts to it since then. Oh, okay. Yeah. We'll get into all that stuff. But yeah, for the most part, I think it's right up our alleys. Hell yeah. Well, let's get to fucking talking about it and find out how cigarette burns made us squeal. Dun, dun, dun. How does that make you squeal? Fucking cigarette burns. All right, how does it make you squeal? You actually have watched, like, all the Masters of Horror. I haven't. Yeah, if I haven't seen all of them, I've seen most of them. Let's put it that way. Yeah, because I was pretty keen on it when it first kind of aired, not that I had Showtime at the time, but because I was collecting, mm-hmm. I came across these. Actually, my sister, Ashley, she bought a copy of Argento's Jennifer and sent it to me back in like, it was like 2006, seven, something like that for my birthday one year. So that was really cool. And actually, this episode today is the very first episode I ever seen in the uh, oh, Masters shit. of Horror series. Yeah. So I didn't go through them in order. I caught a few, and then mm-hmm. I bought the box set. Uh, the second season, never had the first season, but 
Like I said, I've seen most, if not all of them. Hell yeah. Yeah, this was my first experience with it. And it's fine. Yeah. Definitely not Carpenter's best work. But I also realized when I rewatched it this morning that the first time I watched it this week, I was a lot sleepier and out of it than I thought I was. Because I came away from it, like, not remembering, like, half of what actually went on in this movie. And I didn't sort of of realize that (laughs) Uh, until rewatch. And I'm like, oh, shit. Okay, no, this fits together a little bit better than I thought it did the first time. It marked you, dude. Yeah, apparently. Apparently. (laughs) That's awesome. My biggest takeaway from this is that Cody Carpenter's soundtrack on this is fucking phenomenal. Yes, it is. It's very nice in the sense that it feels familiar, but you definitely know it's his and not his father's. For John's work, it's not the best. It's not bad. No, it's not bad. For Udo's work, it's not the best. It's not bad. It's not bad. It's pretty decent. For Norman's work, it's not the best. It's not bad. Yeah, so all the performances are not great, not horrible. They're about, you know, right in the pocket, I suppose, right down the middle. Right. You know, nothing more, nothing less. And I feel like the story and some of it suffers from the time constraint. I do too. But it gets the point across. I guess we'll, we can start getting into the story. Yeah. So. so before we even jump into the episode, I do want to state this. Okay. As a fan of the series, right, I love the opening intro, like the title oh, and all yeah. of that stuff. I wrote that down as my first time. I was like, man, that intro gets me every time. Yeah, that title sequence is a good one. I really like that a lot. So anyway, right, the thing that I like how this episode starts off, not that it's special, not that it hasn't been done before, but it starts off with a quote, and that quote is, film is magic, and in the right hands, a weapon. We don't quite know who's quoting that yet, but it is revealed later on. So that's how it kind of opens. And then it starts with Norman Reedus driving up to Bellinger's estate, right? Fu lets him in. He's introduced, and he's looking, and you can tell he's a collector, right? He's got posters on the wall. Mm-hmm. Pretty nice little get up there. And Norman Reedus drifts over towards a big poster on the wall, Le Fin Absolute de Mont, which is, of course... The absolute end of the world. That name was a fucking mouthful for how often it's fucking said in this movie. And not everybody says it right the first time. And I I get it. It's easy just to say Le Fin or Le Fin. I would have changed it to some shorter title, personally. That was one of the things I sort of ran up against. I'm like, really, guys? This entire movie, you're going to... Le Fin du Absolute It's got to have that European flair. (laughs) I'm like, ah, motherfuckers. Okay, all right, we're doing this. Especially because also the absolute end of the world also sounds a little bit dumb. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) go figure. But the whole point and the reason they're meeting is that Udi Kier happened to be at this screening for this film, but he chose to go see the Dr. Fibes Mm -hmm. in hopes of meeting Vincent Price. But while at this festival, which happened to be at the Sitges Festival in Spain, this is back in like, what, 71, I think they said, something Mm -hmm. like that, is that when the film played, it only played the one time, but everybody who watched it wound up getting in this murderous fervor. And the director, I think his name is Bankovic or something like that, Bankovic. Something like that, right? yeah, yeah. It's rumored that on the way out of the country, the police seized his film and destroyed it. But that's not true because surprise or wait, there's more, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Is, you know, Uda Kears is like, you know, I've been searching for this film. It's not like... 
a hobby, you know, it's like, I know this thing exists, let me show you. You see these wings on the wall, right? And you're like, oh, that looks like some cool props. Right. <laughs> and then you're introduced to who those wings belong to, and it's this really wispy man, Willow. You can go ahead, because we're in the spoilers. It's, it's an angel, right? Or at least it's implied that it's an angel. So the ant man... I got like opposite thoughts on the angel because I thought it was cool. I feel like showing the wings and the angel and the wounds this early in the movie, yeah, like takes away a lot from when you finally see the film later on. Right, 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 right. Because it's already you already know something. You definitely yeah. By the time it happens, if you were paying attention at all in the first (laughs) ten minutes, then you know what's part of what's on the film, at least part of what's on the film. And I get what they're going for with the angel, but then, like, I feel like if you would have made him look a little bit more human, yeah, then we might have a little bit more automatic empathy for him. But he's just alien enough that it's like, okay, and he can't act the greatest through that makeup. So if you also allow him to be a little bit more normal human looking maybe his actual pain would have shown through more. Yeah, it's odd. Mm-hmm. You know, it is kind of odd, but one of my favorite scenes in the entire film happens with Udo Kier mocking <laughs> <laughs> the angel because he throws it like a cube of ice and he's like, tell Mr. Sweetman what you told me about the film. <laughs> <laughs> and so what he's confirming is that the... People who are part of the film, right? The characters, etc. They're tied to the negative, like soul is to the flesh, right? So if it were destroyed, the film, they would have known about it. So it's confirming that the film still exists, right? Mm-hmm. And so there comes a point where they agree to a price and stuff like that. And he's offered all paid expenses to go hunt the film down for a hundred grand on top of it. And he's like, make it 200 because he's got some debts to pay off. We find out. And exactly two hundred grand. Yeah, no more, no less. Which, why don't you go up to two fifty at that point? Well, so you he, have he some tells extra him for yourself. Yes, yeah, so he tells him that he's a wealthy man, and you know, money's no object. Exactly, not even a problem. Even somewhere in there too, he animates or, or intimates the fact that before he goes to hell, he wanted to have a little piece of heaven. Mm-hmm. Right. So you know, he's somebody described him as. Uh, was it elegantly decadent? Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I can like, see that. Okay, that's a pretty decent description. So, all right. So after their encounter, their agreement, all that good stuff, Norman Reedus returns to his theater, right? It's called The Vogue. And what I liked about it and Come what it reminded me of <laughs> is the title on the marquee, right? Profondo Rosso. Oh, yeah. I was like, yes, hell yeah, that's Argento. That's now, right. I know because we've talked about both Suspiria and Halloween and both these gentlemen is how Carpenter was a big fan of Argento's, and there's a lot of homages to I a lot of things I in this. I recognized that name when it yeah. came up. And like, it just it means deep red, so mm-hmm. I was like, cool, man. There's another sequence, too, that I really enjoy that I know it's done intentionally because of what the scene's about, but the guy who's cutting the reel, Timson, right? He's looking yeah. for a cigarette burn and he finds one. And as he's splicing and cutting the film... Wait, maybe we should say, if y'all want to know what a cigarette burn is, go right. rewatch Fight Club. Exactly. They explain it in detail. <laughs> it's just pretty cool. 
There's that little thing at the top corner. I'm sure you can probably find that clip just by itself on YouTube. Oh, I'm certain of it, which is really neat. But it does. It explains it. So as the guy is cutting that cigarette burn out, there's multiple cuts, edits, as he's doing it as well, which I, I thought was really was cool. Argento. Yeah. But I, I just like, man, that's really cool is the guy is literally editing it and the editor is making cuts as the guy's cutting as well to like drive home the point that it's editing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? So I, I thought that was pretty neat. But anyway, the long story short is Kirby, he has a flashback of Annie and it's kind of funny because, you know, he's in his office and she's singing to him. She's like, are you, she, I'm not going to sing it, <laughs> but she asks him, are you my sweet man? Right, and I had to think about it for a little bit, and I was like, "Oh yeah, his last name is Sweet." Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's it's so cheesy, but it's like, all right, you kind of get it. Something happens. We learn all that stuff, but what they're talking about, which I think is really neat, is the job the guy Timpson knows about. Everybody knows about Le Fin, which I think apparently is kind of everyone. Yeah, apparently everyone knows. Which I think is neat, right? There are certain films when you go chasing certain films, right? Gory films, hardcore films, etc that have reputations. So this one, if you're a fan of collecting or fan of horror in general, and you follow this kind of shit, it's like, it's almost a direct statement to fans like this. With the film being made by foreign director, with the angel being involved in the supposed extreme content, did watching through it just remind, be like, God damn it, does this mean we have to follow this up with melancholy daringale <laughs> and, uh, it reminded me of a few things like that right another film too for some people who know it's the film begotten mm. and it's a black and white film and it was like a you know for the time it was kind of a heavy bootleg film because of its content and i actually have a copy of it it's a bootleg dvd but i was like okay i get it it's super art house right and it's a little bit uh transgressive which is you know but it's not the hard, most hardcore thing I've ever seen. Right. Not even close, but it, it's pretty gnarly. Yeah, when the angel came up and then the film's supposed to be so extreme, oh, I'm yeah. like, I, I like, know oh, that there's man, no angel. Dora. I'm like, I know that there's no angel in fucking Angel's Melancholy, but angel being in the name and then an angel coming up on screen means yeah. like, ah, does this mean we have to follow? And I don't think we're going to because I don't really want to watch that movie right now. No, but. not right now. <laughs> you have to put yourself in a certain place to quote unquote get in the mood to watch that kind of film. Yeah, because that's like... But it would probably be subversive. the most appropriate follow-up. <laughs> <laughs> I will state that right now. Yeah, I'm not going to argue with you. <laughs> but you're right. It did make me think about that a little bit as well. God, I remember at one point, even just like within the people I knew and the talk and shit, like I mentioned when we covered it, like Battle Royale was almost that movie to an extent at one point. because. Yeah kids killing each other was so transgressive it really was and it was kind of a movie at one point you had to kind of seek out especially here in the states like it wasn't you yeah. just walk down to a fucking street corner most of the, or you know your corner yeah. best buy exactly. not for like the first year was available no, no no when there are films like that that come out and you can't go to like the big chain stores to find them it makes them like ooh, let's see if this place and that place don't have you like oh okay okay you know, and it, it probably it probably didn't take it's, too long for the attitude to change over because people realized they could make money selling them. But exactly, I just remember at a certain point it was kind of like you can't just go get this because it's kids killing each other. <laughs> you know what I mean? Exactly, dude. 
So, I mean, that's kind of the neat commentary, too, that's attached to it. It's like... Even though now we're more like, yeah, Melancholy Darren Gell. I know, right? There's so much more things that are hardcore, you know, things of that nature that are still kind of hard to get by, but when you get your hands on it... Guinea pig. Yeah, it's... There's some decent shit out there. (laughs) We haven't done any of the guinea pig. No. They're... The Japanese are Mm -hmm. so-so. Or the American guinea pig. I have watched one of the series... And it's not bad. It's not bad. It it's, it has a a really cool ending. Let's put our, I won't say cool. Let's say interesting. <laughs> anyway, where are we at with this movie? Okay, so Kirby, like I said, he had his flashback. He and his coworker, they're you know they had their conversation about him looking for the film and what a cigarette burn is and the fact that he got an Argento. Man, how mm-hmm. cool is that? Everybody's a collector of sorts, right? What he does have is, I guess that run in with Walter, who is his ex-wife, his girlfriend, whatever, her dad, so his father-in-law, something like that. Mm-hmm. That's where you learn that he, that's who he owes the money to. That's why he asked for $200,000. It wasn't a gift. It was a loan. First off, I mean, you see the condition they're in when he gives them that loan. And all I could think of is some fucking Ten Crack Commandments. That goddamn credit, dead it. Think a crackhead's paying you back? Shit, forget it. <laughs> Should have known better. Because they're all methed up. Yeah, it's all methed up in there. <laughs> yeah, they're banging Two- veins and <sighs> she's slitting you're, wrists and shit. You're giving them $200,000 when they're looking like that? <laughs> you're lucky they both didn't OD, dude. Like, I know, that is like... <laughs> it's like, guess what, Joe Rogan? <laughs> Shit. Bet you didn't know I smoke crack. <laughs> yeah, so that's what we learned. That's, of course, how Norman Reedus's character is running that theater and whatnot. And the whole reason why he's tracking down this video. or this. He's film. real cleaned up now, though. Yeah, I mean, it looks, it looks good. It looks good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so the first thing that he does after we have all that stuff at the theater with Walter and his co-worker and his flashbacks of Annie is that he visits a film critic. Right, this guy named A.K. Myers is played by Britain. It happens to be in Carthage. That's in upstate New York. The interesting thing about that is that's the birthplace of Mr. Carpenter. Oh shit! Okay, <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Right. So the thing that we learn about this gentleman, right, he was a film critic of the film way back in the day, and so that's why he's visiting him. He wants to get some more information, glean some things, and so he knocks, tells him he wants to talk about the film, and lets him in. You see, like, stacks of fucking papers all over his house. The guy's still typing away. So that was one of the things the first time through that I realized I didn't pay attention to was, like, the bit where he's like, oh, no, this is all the second review. That first review is shit. It was horrible. It was bullshit. (laughs) I took it way too easy on that film. Now I'm giving it a piece of my mind, even though I also have a giant boner for wanting to see it. Yeah. That's the thing is, like, Everybody does want to see it, but they know the price of seeing it. It's kind of just like a more addictive fucking Hellraiser's puzzle box that can also really fuck with other people if they're close by. The one thing that I I do know about this a little bit, this episode in particular, is that at some point before, you know, they got it to where it made television, is that it, it was supposed to have a little bit more of a supernatural bent to it. Right, the film, it was supposed to be more mm-hmm. of a supernatural thing where it could appear anywhere where people were seeking it because of that fact. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 So 
they, you know, they had to scale it back and shit to make it a little bit more tangible, you know, a little bit more realistic mm -hmm. is what they wanted. But that's the whole point is that everybody who seeks it or whatnot, the closer they get to a batch, it happens. So they kind of spell that out. I can't remember at what point, but you already sort of start getting the hints of that kind of early on. Right. Because what this guy does is the critic is he tells Kirby that he actually got to interview Bengovic mm -hmm. at the festival and he has a couple tapes. Of course, he'll loan them, you know, so he can listen to them. But he told him, he warned him, he's like, but you got to be careful because it gets inside of you, right? And so that's when Kirby flies off to Paris and he's in his hotel room. He's got the tapes on. And that's what I wrote down. I think that's the first cigarette burn that he has. Maybe not in the film, but that he has directly, yeah. right? Because during that cigarette burn, he has a hallucination or dream of Annie. He sees like her shadow in the bathroom. And when he goes in there, she's, you know, cut mm -hmm. in the tub and whatnot. Another quick cigarette burn and she's in the center of it screaming and bloody and all that shit. And so he comes out of it. And this is where he meets Henri Cotillard, who's a... What I, <laughs> I know what it means in French, but it's funny how it's written because it's like chef, archivist. Mm. <laughs> it's like, he's a chef. <laughs> but he's, no, he's not. So now that we've introduced how these like cigarette burns are popping up, this is just the other, I wouldn't necessarily say I run up against it, but it's just weird. It feels like an inconsistency in the movie yeah. in that like his buddy is collecting cigarette burns because when you take them out, it introduces extra anarchy into the film. You don't know that the reel is going to end, and so it runs out. And then the, I yeah. mean, and honestly, he's just being a dick to projectionists. Exactly, is what he's doing because yeah, because they're expecting somewhere to change the reel out, right, etc. But he's creating his own little form of art by introducing extra anarchy into things by taking the cigarette burn out. <laughs> exactly. However, <laughs> extra anarchy is coming into. Norman Reedus's life by cigarette burns coming in, which exactly. is the exact opposite of what we were just being told about them. <laughs> yeah. It's like an inversion. Yeah. But then the other thing, as he gets closer, the cigarette burns start popping up more, more. frequently. Yeah. So they never talk about this in the movie and I'm not saying it, it's an inconsistency because it didn't happen. It probably just happened off screen, but it makes me curious, like for Udo's character to be, be able to track down the angel and the wings and just the shit that he has in his own collection already about the film. He probably is also seeing cigarette burns, right? Oh, I would imagine so because of the attachments. Yeah. He even had like the photo stills and shit. Right. You know, which I believe actually that's what the archivist has. The interesting thing, too, to note about this archivist is he talks about there was a screening back in, like, 1988 where he was the projectionist. Now, he says that he was afraid of the film, so he didn't watch it, so he turned his back. But then he started smelling the blood and hearing the screams and mm -hmm. whatnot. And so he reached for it to try to, you know, turn it off or whatnot. A cigarette burn happened. He blacked out and woke up. His hand was all fucked up, you know. So he's, you know, once again, he's warning him. And he mentions that there is a guy who's also a collector, and lately he's been inheriting things from the Bonkovic estate. Mm -hmm. Doesn't know why. He says, I wouldn't suggest you talk to this guy, <laughs> but if you want but here to. Here you go. Exactly. So once again, Kirby's off. He goes to a place called Rosny Sosan, 
So the Seine is the river. Oh yeah, it's yeah. northwest of Paris. I looked it up. So it's probably like I don't know, maybe half an hour drive outside of Paris to the northwest. That's the setting. But what it reminded me of the way that he pulls in. Yeah. Right. And he's dropped off, and these big fucking burly dudes who look Slavic. I was like, man, that reminds me a lot of Hostel right now. <laughs> but I think this predates Hostel, if I'm not mistaken, especially I filming. Think, I think you're right. I'm almost certain of it. Yeah. So long story short, he meets that guy, Dalibor, right? And they're explaining it. This is actually the guy who has the stills. But Norman Reedus sees the box that says Le Fin, right? Same here. Oh, no shit. Okay. Maybe it's just a coincidental thing. Mm-hmm. But... Yeah, Norman Reedus actually, when he opens it up, there's like a manila envelope that has photo stills of the film. The guy Dalibor says he's never seen it, whatnot. But what happens is he injects Norman Reedus in the neck, knocks him out. He wakes up, bound, like duct taped, all that shit to a chair. And across from him, there's the, I think the cab or taxi driver who dropped him off. I thought I recognized her, but I didn't quite put that together. I think that's who that is, if I'm not mistaken. So Dalibor is all hooded up. All guinea pigged out. <laughs> and and uh, uh, homeboy goes ISIS. Yeah, he does. I'm like, oh, I totally forgot about that. But that's, I like it. <laughs> it's hardcore. Uh, for the, I mean, granted, we know it's. That was know. probably, that's probably the most actually violent part of the movie. Because yeah. most of the other violence happens in blackout sequences. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. They're usually, um, or yeah, blackouts. Other than like the butler, the self-harm. Exactly, but that that wasn't too bad. You know, that's all makeup and stuff, which is still good. But uh, yeah, when he chops off girl's head, he's telling them, you know, once you put something like this on screen, you know, it has an effect on the audience. (laughs) And what I like, that guy does a really good job. Actually, plays Dalibor. He sits in his lap, and he's all, he's like, "You come all the way out here, and I'm trying to tell you, and you still don't listen, right?" He says, "No, I gotta make you listen," and it looks like he's about to fuck him up. And then you have that cigarette burn. And everybody's fucked up. Yeah, which is like, oh, shit. And now Norman Reedus has the machete. And he goes over to Dalibor and he's like poking in his neck. Because he's like, fuck you. He's like, fuck me. Right? But what he tells him, he's like, you know. (laughs) That part cracked me up a little bit. Because he's like, fuck me? No, fuck you. Yeah, he he goes off. (laughs) It's good. Right? But the guy screams out. Katja, which we learn was the widow or is the widow of the mm-hmm. filmmaker Bankovic, uh, who happened to be in Vancouver the whole time. <laughs> that, that was kind of pretty funny yeah. in a sense. You know, it's a little bit of humor there. Got him going in a big ass circle. But when he flies there and goes up, he has another cigarette burn moment in the elevator with Annie. And he tells her, you're not real. And then when he goes out, Katja's like, oh, you made it this far. You're the first person. So, you know, I guess congratulations and sorts. And, you know, she gives him a whole long diatribe about the film and all that stuff. Also, I'm going to say, like, it's talked about that, like, other people went searching for the film. It doesn't seem like it's actually that hard to find everybody. No, it not for It just him. seems like it takes, like, an afternoon. Yeah, I know that like there's a traveling the involved, but... <laughs> yeah. Now, granted, I mean, I, I get it. Like, this was low production. You know, mm-hmm. there's a lot of shit you can do. But yeah, you're right. Like, man, all these pieces are falling into place perfectly. Yeah, this is one of those. Uh, that's just one of the bits where I think it's harmed by the running time. Yeah, I If agree. you could have made this concept into 
a two-hour movie. Yeah, it could have been really cool. Then you can stretch out the hunt a little bit more. and Yeah, exactly. And also... Flesh like, out some of the characters yeah, and stuff. Maybe not even flesh out the characters. Just just make it harder for him oh, to, than just showing up and asking people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's super simple. It's like, yeah, yeah, that dude. I and thought this film could, was hard to find. <laughs> and then you could also highlight some more of, like, the supernatural weirdness of the book. Because... We'll get to it, but I find that to be the most disappointing thing about this. Yeah. And why I, I just can't like it more than... I do like it. No, the I reason why have I have a hard time talking about it more positively is the film itself, but... No, it's understandable. <laughs> All right, so I'll make this short. Is, she, you know, she's explaining Bonkovic, and the question that Norman Reedus has is who, you know, will tell me who's the producer. And she's like, you know, you're very direct. I've asked him the same thing. He says he never named anybody, but she says the same people who produced this film also produced Chaos, Sorrow, Suffering, Famine. And he's like, what do you mean, like the devil? Just like, you know, call it what you want. Evil is evil, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, okay, maybe there's a little bit of that cosmic stuff there, the mm -hmm. supernatural stuff there, which, like I said, maybe if it had a longer runtime, it could have been a really cool different dynamic. The people behind the scenes, mm -hmm. you know, pulling the strings, what have you. But because of the runtime, yeah, we get it. Anyway, she leads him into the film room. And, you know, <laughs> it's kind of funny because the guy who plays Bonkovich in, in like the flashback sequence is watching the film obsessively. Doesn't look like the kind of guy to be filming these types of films. No. Not no. even close, right? I found it a little bit laughable. I was expecting more of like a Tom Six looking motherfucker. Like the dude who was fucking chopping off heads. Yeah. Calibor. <laughs> that kind of dude. <laughs> no, it's like... This upper, probably middle class, somewhere in that region kind of guy who's just, I don't know, just, just it, didn't fit it the didn't, bill, so to speak. It didn't fit. Well, that's, or not even like Dalbor, but even if you had a guy that looked kind of like, I don't know, like David Lynch. <laughs> yeah, Lynch. It, just a little <laughs> more eccentric looking than the guy who played it. Tim Burton. Yeah, you got to flare him up a little bit. Give him something. <laughs> but it looks just average looking guy. But the whole point being is that, there came a point where he snapped, I suppose, went in the kitchen, got a knife out, and slit her throat. Slit his throat. He died. But just he left her real bad aim with her. Right. She just left with a scar, basically. Souvenir. And, you know, she's like, here, you know, here's the film. She even hates having it in there. Like, that's kind of odd. That I find it hard to believe that that was their home for 30 years on top of it in that place. Mm -hmm. I'm not buying that. Yeah, I'm not buying that either. Anyway, what he does is he returns, drops it off to Udo's, right? Udo, <laughs> what I like is, you know, he's got the canister for the film, and he's like, oh, oh. He's kind of like having many orgasms trying to get the film. I was going to, dude, fucking Udo's a fucking one-pump chump when it comes to that film. Oh, that was so funny, man. I sat there in my chair. I'm like, did I really just see Udo's fucking vinegar strokes? <laughs> Motherfuck. Oh, yeah, you did. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, he pays Kirby. He puts in the film. The guy Fung, he happens to be up in the projection booth, too, while it's playing. You have to note right. that. So he goes down in his seat, Bellinger, Udo Kier, that is, and he pops some champagne and starts to play, right? And on top of it, Kirby's drinking a little bit and all that shit. He winds up going back to the theater, and it's all chained up. We know Walter's in the car watching him the whole time, but 
He's having a conversation, it sounds like, with Temps and the guy from earlier. He's like, I'm not pissed off at you. I just need to pay the money and we'll open the doors as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. You know, and then he gets a call from Bellinger. And he's like, what? He's like, what? At the film? Okay, I'll be right over. That's what leads him back. And when he goes back, was it Fung answers the door? And he like... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's all sliced up and shit. He's like, you bring the film here? <laughs> you bring evil here? Oh, and now man. you come back? So, like, oh shit. It gets to where he like stabs his eyes out, and that was fucking dope. Yeah, that was pretty good. That was well done. But here's my problem with the film because we'll explain how he gets there, but pretty much this scene is almost back to back with you finally getting to see the film. Yeah. Not quite. There's a little bit in between. But exactly. The butler stabbing his eyes out is more extreme than the angel getting its wings cut off, which we already know is coming. Yeah. And since they didn't have enough time to like build up the supernatural aspect of the film, then they should have maybe like gone for shocking and extreme. Like with the setup that this movie has, I feel like this should have been the episode that didn't get aired on TV (laughs) rather than imprint. Yeah. It could have been, it could have been saying considering what the whole point of, I get that, that it's supposed is. to have a supernatural influence, and that's right. what's driving people to murder, not necessarily that it's the most extreme. Yeah, thing ever gory, on film. extreme, etc. Yeah. But when you don't have time to build up that, you like do you have to, you special. have to do something special. That's yeah, you have to do something special, and the film yeah, doesn't give apart. you anything special. No, I, I agree with that. Other than the fucking nails, nails. Well, yeah, that's that's that a simple sucks. thing, but yeah, because I mean that's that's a visceral thing, you yeah. know. Like, ooh, nobody likes that. <laughs> yeah, nobody likes that. And that was cool. Yeah. But other than that, the film is it, it the felt like more of the art film house were cooler. Yeah. There's like some kind of explosion or something. The stills of the film looked way creepier than the film itself. Then we actually got, yeah, exactly. But once again, like or so I that's think it's the a, other thing. Find some way to set it up where we build it in our minds. Yeah. But instead we got shown it and it looked like a badly done, super edgy nineties industrial video. <laughs> yeah could have been from kmfdm or somebody yeah <laughs> yeah i could see that that's my yeah, big gripe no, with this I, I could, is that i understand because that they didn't have enough time to build up the supernatural aspect yeah the actual which I film see itself. what they're going for but the what film it? itself yeah. doesn't do much yeah it's a little flat there that's for sure but uh uduk here he's up in the production booth right and he's telling bellinger you know he's like oh yeah i watched the film i really enjoyed it He's like, I wanted you to go get another film because you did so well with finding this film. So, but, you know, I changed my mind. He's like, uh, <laughs> he says... I've been uh, inspired. Yeah, he says, I've been inspired. So I made my own film. <laughs> right? And what you learn is that he's disemboweled himself and he starts feeding his intestines into the film reel. <laughs> right? And is playing his movie. I kind of feel like in a world where they set up that, like... Yeah. Like mutilating an angel on film has a power, and fucking homeboy even contended that normal murder on film has a certain power. That Udo making his own intestines into a film should have had its own supernatural power. <laughs> yeah, but I understand not also wanting to confuse things with that. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. He's like, I'm just gonna feed my guts into this, but. That was cool, though, too. Yeah, it's not bad at all, considering... Although I thought he had already started doing that, and that's why he had such a pained expression. Yeah. Instead of being like, here I go, and then you see him start it. like Yeah, it's time for the movie. 
So Norman Reedus goes into the seating area, and Walter confronts him. Walter's the biggest dick. Norman Reedus even had the money. Yeah, exactly. And so he's basically, you know, telling him, he's like, you know, look, we both can't get over her because at some point they have that struggle, right? And he says he just wants him out of his life. You know, here's your fucking money. Get out of my life. <laughs> but he doesn't make that easy, Walter, right? They have that struggle. There's a cigarette burn that happens. Reedus is sitting in one of the seats and he's all bloodied up and the film is playing. And that's where we were talking about, you know, what the film actually depicts. And then I wasn't Annie, paying enough attention to the close details, but is he sitting in the same seat that Udo was? You know, that's hard to say. I, I doubt that it. would have been a neat detail, but... Yeah, I don't think... I don't quite think he was. I don't think was. so, but that would have been a neat detail. Yeah, just Annie comes out of the film through a, a cigarette burn. She's all bloodied and naked and stuff, and <laughs> Walter's falling prey or victim to it because, once again, he can't let go of her. Neither can Norman Reedus. That's the bond they share. But... Because he's hallucinating it, that's what Norman Reedus confronts him about it. And he's mm-hmm. like, you know, since we both can't, he's like, I got to kill you, you know, <laughs> so you can let go of it. Yeah, and he does. He bashes his fucking head in, stuffs a check in his mouth, and he sits down, and he has the gun, and he sees Annie, of course. Oh, I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you, babe. <laughs> yeah, blows his brains out. Fung crawls all the way over to the angel, finds the key, and lets him, pets his head. And the final thing that we get is the angel has taken the film off the reel, put it back in his can. Thanks, Norman Reedus. And that's it. That's the end of the film. All right, so here's my other hot take. With the way that the characters talk about the film and the power of film and the power of extreme film, I did enjoy it more than I didn't enjoy it, despite all the shit that I've talked. House That Jack Built is the better version of this movie. Oh, yeah, without a doubt, dude. (laughs) Because they're kind of saying some of the same, not a lot of the same things. Matt Dillon's arguments are different. But when it comes to the section of the movie where in House of Jack Built, where he's specifically talking about extreme film and some of the commentary that is contained throughout that entire movie on extreme film, it's kind of just the better version of this. Yeah, I agree. Because it kind of matches up with what some of the characters are trying to espouse anyway. Yeah. See... I think for the time being, when this when this came out too, you know, Carpenter hadn't really done a whole lot up to that point. I mean, a right, few this things. was kind of like his return in a way. Yeah, because I mean, I guess prior to that, he had Ghost of Mars we had mentioned mm-hmm. earlier, and uh, In the Mouth of Madness, and you know, stuff of that nature. So you know, a little bit spotty here and there, wasn't doing a whole bunch, but you know, whatever. So this one was kind of a cool return because you know it gave him kind of another entry point. I know that this a little bit. Some people have compared it like if. Um, of eight millimeter and the, was it the ninth gate? Okay. And the book, the the Yellow King, I believe it was. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, it's like you know, if you combine elements of all of those, this is kind of what this film is a little bit like, you know. And I was like, okay, I, I can kind of get that because it's a commentary, like I said once again on people who collect and the extremities and things like that. And there is a fine line. I think we've talked about this before, you know, with knowing that a lot of this is, you know, practical effects and these people are acting. And then sometimes you cross that line Mm -hmm. and people are willing to go to extreme lengths, put other stuff on film, sometimes consensual, sometimes not, you know? And uh, in in an essence, you know, that's, I think, like I said, what this film is depicting is just the extreme lengths people will go to do art Mm -hmm. and stuff of that nature, you know, and collectors too. Yeah. 
This movie does kind of make me want to follow it up with an extreme movie. I yeah, don't know I'm not opposed. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> I'm not averse to extreme. I've got plenty in my We'll collection. talk about that in a little bit. I'm trying to think if I have anything else to actually say about this. Overall, like, I like all the ideas for sure in this yeah, movie. Yeah, yeah, but you're right. I kind of wish that we had the two-hour version of it. Exactly. I think it would have gave it a lot more, oomph, you mm-hmm. know? You have the right people at play. It's just, yeah, time didn't a lot for a lot of things in this film. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like you were saying, there's just... Everybody he meets just so happens to point him in the right direction. <laughs> Pretty quickly, too. Yeah, real simple. Like You've been in my office for two minutes? All right, I'm going to give you this phone number. Oh, I know. Twist my arm, buddy. <laughs> Twist my fucked up hand, buddy. <laughs> no, Damn. This man. is my strong hand. <laughs> I know, dude. It's so funny. But like I said, for a little bit of... I wouldn't nece- This is not necessarily cosmic horror, but it has a tinge of that. Because of the supernatural. And that's in the two-hour version of this that will never exist. That's another something you can go into more. But Exactly. So, like I said, there's some really cool concepts never really fleshed out properly. But for a 50-something-odd-minute I mean, episode, it's, it's not bad. It's fine. It's, it's not fine. bad. I'll put it this way. For the series, it's I'd say it's like right towards the upper, but not the best. Even right. though it does get rated out as, if I'm not mistaken, on the database as the highest ranked episode. That blows my mind because imprint exists. Right. And I'm like, no, that's where I have my my little, I won't say doubts, but my arguments for that. Because <laughs> I think there's other episodes that, quite frankly, are, are done a lot better because of the content. And this was just, I think, a lot of shit trying to tackle out at once and put it all into mm-hmm. an hour slot. Yeah, so... For that reason alone, it's not bad. But yeah, it's not the best in the series. It's like I said, right down the middle. It's a decent Carpenter entry. People seriously rating this above imprint kind of blows my mind right now. Yeah. Because I like this, but it's that is incredible. Yeah. That's so I, well done. At the time that I watched it, I was, you know, a big fan of it. But because we've reviewed so many films and you know, you have to watch it with a different eye, it's like, yeah, it's not the best. It's not bad. No. If it's on I'll, enjoy Yeah, it. if it's on, I'll watch it, but it's it's not one I would necessarily pick out of the bunch. Right. And maybe more people just need to give it a rewatch. Yeah. If Yeah, exactly. If you've never seen any of the Masters of Horror before, check this out and then check the rest of the catalog out. There's some really good episodes in there. So we'll have to figure out what we're doing next week. Do we have anything else to say on this one? No. It's kind not. of a short thing. I mean, Exactly. It's on Tubi, so you can check it out. It's got both seasons. Makes it easy. Please subscribe however you're listening to us right now. That would be super fucking cool. Also, if you could rate and review us, that just helps out all the different algorithms. Interact with us however you can. Rate, review, email us, squirmcast at gmail.com. Go to our website, www.friedsquirms.com. Check out all the back catalog there. You can contact us through the website if you don't want a like, normal email. And while you're there, you can click the links up at the top. Go check out all the shows across the network because we are part of the Ear Vroom Podcast Network. Go listen to me talk about nerdy shit over on General Nerdery. Listen to my co-host from there. Go talk about war treatises and how they relate to war gaming, such as Bellagarth and Warhammer 40K. Over on the Art of War Gaming, more shit to come. That is, did I already say? E-A-R-V-V-Y-R-M.com will be the easiest way to check everything coming from the entire network. Uh, search for us, Fried Squirms, across all the social medias, the social meads, the social meads. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> will be what pops up. We're kind of using it slowly more and more. Yeah. Trying to. Am I missing something? No, I don't think so. I think you did a good job. 
Once again, like I said, we do like suggestions, recommendations for films from week to week. And for those indie filmmakers, we like putting our eyeballs on your films. So don't be afraid to let us take a sneak peek at what you got. Shit, even if you just want to like talk horror movies with us. Like, yeah, we enjoy up. conversations. It's yeah, it's what we do. It's what we do. That being said, I'm Tyler. I'm Danny. Fried squirms out. Ooh. <laughs>